You're listening to IQVIA Business Insights, a series of discussions about some of the biggest issues and questions facing our global healthcare ecosystem and how the integration of data, scientific expertise, technology, and analytics can drive business and patient outcomes forward. Welcome back to the Changing Ecosystem in Specialty Aggregation, Episode 2. If you missed Episode 1, no worries, just go to IQVIA.com and search the Changing Ecosystem in Specialty Aggregation. Our industry guest speakers are back for Episode 2. Joining us are Jessica Morani from Trellis Rx, Umang Taker from Novartis, Jordan Russo from Kiowa Caring, and Natasha Mayfield from Optum Frontier Therapies. They will be sharing their perspectives around the challenges in interpreting specialty and rare disease data and ensuring that there is alignment on insights. Picking up from our episode one conversation, when you talk about technical challenges and different systems platforms, I think about specialty pharmacy and health systems and that there isn't a standard. So Jessica, I mean, you know, folks want to believe that, you know, when you're working with a health system and you're working within a health system, you're going to have all this access to data. The data is going to be clean. It's going to be in a format that you can like, you know, interact with. But to Umang's point, beyond any sort of technical capability or limitation, um, just interested in like, you know, hearing from you, like what are some of the technical limitations you're seeing within health systems to really, you know, pull out the data for analysis? So, Hari, I think there is a huge gap within health systems with in regards to what data they have and what their data capabilities are. These are these are two completely different things. You know, you could say I have full access to the EHR, but do you have a data contract with that health system that allows you to, to pull data from that EHR or is that only strictly to be used um, for direct patient care purposes? Um, another thing is to, you know, you may have access to that EHR. Maybe you do have a data contract written with that health system that allows you to pull that data. Do you have data analysts in-house? Do you have a research pharmacist in-house? Do you have dedicated personnel um, to take on that initiative? Uh, because having the data and, and knowing how to um, use the data are two very different things. Um, and so, you know, some of the challenges are, you know, rights to that data within within the health system space, uh, but then also resources to be able to pull that data in, in a meaningful way. Um, a lot of that then, you know, translates down into definitions um, and what, you know, what do you mean by adherence? Are we talking about the first three fills? Are we measuring it by, by PDC? Um, how do you define a gap day? How do I define a gap day? Um, so a lot of those standard definitions, I call them standard, but, you know, truly they're not very standard, um, don't exist across, you know, the, the health system specialty industry. Um, and so you may ask one specialty pharmacy to pull um, persistence and adherence on a specific drug and get a very different pool than you would if, if you asked another health system. And so um, it kind of goes back to, to everyone here's point on a lot of different stakeholders at the table asking for um, similar items with very different definitions as interpreted by 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 the various stakeholders. And so um, those are some of the gaps that that we see in that data. And, and uh, Natasha, are are you seeing similar challenges? And I know you mentioned EMR earlier in the conversation. Yeah. And in terms of, you know, I'm, I'm more interested from your perspective, 
the insights that folks mm -hmm. are drawing and is there a challenge there on that end? So the technical ability and the capability we sort of, sort of, you know, through this conversation laid out that there are some challenges, yep. but then Umang also identified that there's insight alignment challenges. Um, any perspective to share there? Oh boy, we could talk for a long time about that. <laughs> um, I was grinning with recognition as both Umang and, and Jessica were speaking because I think there's a couple of, of things in play here. I think the first is what Umang you know, alluded to, which is we first have to look at anytime we're trying to access data or review data or apply data, it's what is the vantage point of the stakeholder that's the source of gathering that and kind of what you have to literally put yourself in the shoes of also who's inputting the data, right? I think it's very easy um, for those that have analyzed like claims data, for example, <laughs> you know, if I put myself in the shoes of a doctor, they're just trying to put whatever codes actually get the patient covered at the end of the day <laughs> and make sure that that is kind of clear. Um, doesn't always mean it's the most accurate story of the patient's longitudinal experience. Um, I think another example is, especially when you drill into the rare disease space, EMRs are often not designed with the clinical workflow to such a level of precise detail for that particular condition that you can actually extract predictable, repeatable clinical insights. Um, so that's something we often don't talk about, the level of you know, just even fatigue from physicians and their clinical management teams around you know, creating yet another net new kind of clinical workflow in order to, to capture you know, specific insights. Um, so I think there's some of those elements where you have kind of those two ends of the spectrum. You have to put yourself in the shoes of who's actually filling out this information and do we know enough about how they make decisions <laughs> uh, about like why one value over another or what circumstances they may be facing as they're you know reviewing the patient that day. And then the other side is then who has the perspective of what do they want to do with it? And now how do we kind of acknowledge those realities, right? Again, we live in a US healthcare landscape where kind of the market is designed to be competitive. And that's the reality is that data becomes an asset in which people choose uh, to, to kind of compete against access. Bringing it back then full circle, Hari, to what can we do about this, where we have the technical limitations, we have the insight you know, challenges, and then we have the market competition and friction. I think at the end of the day, if we start by actually um, listening to the patients, caregivers, providers of those that we're here to serve, we can begin defining what does good look like to them and with them. <laughs> and what I found is when we start by gathering that set of insights, and then we take a step back and we start to have a kind of, I'll call it a more agnostic view of clinical expertise applied to um, how do we best look at how all of the patients in the US may be experiencing a certain condition. How do we listen to the research that we just pulled together and then start to match that up with looking at the treatment journey, looking at you know alternatives, et cetera. We can develop a more clear viewpoint 
of what a condition goal should be. And this then speaks to Umang's point earlier of we can make that a little bit of a rallying cry for aligning on outcomes and then begin driving that back in partnership with a health system, in partnership with the care providers that are actually maybe facilitating treatment for that condition. And then I would say also beginning to drive recommendations with folks like payers, because what we see most of the time is they just don't know any better for these conditions. They actually are looking for someone to help come to the table and say, okay, well, what should this be? And how can I predictably and repeatedly, you know, trust that these are the insights I will get if we agree upon these measures? So I'm kind of bringing it back full circle to what everyone has, has touched upon here, which is we have to step back and take a patient view, <laughs> then I'll call it a humanistic view, and then match that up with more rigorous clinical expertise from folks that all they do is see and treat these conditions all day, every day, and then begin to translate that for other stakeholders to say, if this is our goal together, how do we make it real? And we often find when we keep that at the center of our goals, we are able to make pretty significant progress than navigating the challenging kind of market frictions, competitive di dynamics, as well as finding a way to work through any, you know, compliance or privacy challenges from a solutions-oriented viewpoint. And, um, you know, Natasha, as we're thinking about, hey, there's technical complexity, there's mm -hmm. complexity with drawing insights. We haven't even touched on this explosion of new data sources and digital data mm -hmm. sources and alternate sites of care. If you had to look in your crystal ball and say, you know, here's the biggest driver that can potentially impact or improve either or, um, mm -hmm. you know, patient data, what, what would you say it would be? Well, I probably have my cheeky answer. <laughs> <laughs> Which would also be, uh, you know, if we're if we're talking about what we're all trying to do here, it's it's kind of a a true, you know, uh, Glinda the Good Witch uh, data set of magical, you know, healthcare insights across all health systems across doesn't matter where a patient is being served from their plan or their payer, et cetera. <laughs> that's that's really kind of what we're we're talking about here. But I don't think that is. Um, as realistic in, in the market right now. I think though one of the largest drivers that I see is actually the opportunity to capitalize on the, uh, what I'll call is the market consolidation that's been occurring with respect to health system expansion as well as um, even uh, uh, payer expansion and integration. And I think that's where if we can start to bring those stakeholders to the table, I think what we need to do is, is drive towards uh, data sets where we're actually quantifying what should care look like for a particular condition. And I actually think, despite the explosion of many different digital capabilities, this comes back to the fundamental, how do we begin to define healthcare outcomes more as a true long-term outcome rather than a short-term commodity. And then we can actually begin better applying the tools that have actually emerged in the marketplace. Thanks, Natasha. So just uh, bringing that all together, I think that, that 
really encapsulates what we've talked about here. Generally, it's getting harder for patients to start on therapy and stay on therapy despite all of the progress and advancement and the services that are being offered by pharma today. There seems to be a lot of technical challenges to being able to collect that data. There's also challenges in measuring, and there's also challenges in drawing insights because of the lack of technical standardization, clinical standards, and then the interpretation that we talked about. And then, you know, even as data sources are being linked, integrated, and that also is being done uniquely by each of your respective organizations. It sounds like, you know, as much as, it, as we've improved, there's also as much complexity and as much more data we have, there's also more questions to be answered. So I think, you know, we did a pretty good job if that was our intent or not in, in going through the session of laying out why it is that difficult. And so um, um, I wanna thank all of you guys for participating and providing your input and also providing your experience and expertise as to why it's so difficult to aggregate data in this new specialty and rare evolving ecosystem. I'd love to have all of you guys back and we talk in another session about how can we solve for this going forward, leveraging you know, your, again, your, your background in this space and potentially coming up with a great solution. So with that, you know, thanks everyone. There is definitely a Q&A here in, in your um, chat that you can put in. Um, and only individual to you and only the panelists will see your question. So we're happy to answer any questions that uh, you may have um, in, in any questions directed to this panel. So thank you. All right, so uh, we do have a few questions in the chat. Again, feel free to put in a question. It's completely anonymous and we'll handle the questions as we can in the next few minutes. And if we don't have an opportunity to get to your question, we will certainly reach back out to you and follow up with a with an with an answer um i guess question for you jessica that came up is that you know as you're you know proposing and preparing for this benchmarking that you mentioned is there any data there that's available for you know some of our audience to be able to take a look at what what that what that is and what you've put together to date there is, Hari. Um, so we have put out the second annual patient impact report. Um, this is a report we put out um, for health system specialty pharmacies um, at, to be what we believe is a gold standard for um, data collection, the correct, correct clinical outcome measures to be collecting for various disease state or various drugs, uh, which we believe are you know important for decision makers to see and to, and to take a look at these stellar patient outcomes and, and processes that we've put in place. Um, and what's great about that report and why I would urge you know everyone to, to take a look at it is because we actually do include in their benchmarks that we're able to find within the space, whether that be from primary literature, from um, pharmacy organizations, et cetera. And where there aren't benchmarks, I think this report becomes even more important because we hope to start creating some of those um, and allowing for you know, organizations to kind of talk to each other and start collecting the same things and you know, speak the same languages when it comes to the data outcomes that we're looking at. Perfect, perfect, Jessica, thank you. Um, there's another question here about patient consent. So it says, uh, 
you know, how do you go about campaign data or social data that patients provide their own consent by definition to third-party providers, but not back to the brand manufacturer? Um, anyone care to take a shot, Umang? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to give this one a shot. So it's it's more complex than what is seen because patient consent it may not be to the standards of your organization. So there may be some specifics not mentioned in that consent. And so then you have to get syndicated data to, le- to leverage directionally, but that's after the fact. And that happens on typically on the marketing team side where they're capturing this information. Um, and then you're just overlaying or comparing to what you already have in your own ecosystem at that point. And uh, another question is, I know we didn't talk about this per se within the session, uh, but I think we touched on it, especially with a lot of the payer pair type of related discussion. So the question is just around, um, you know, how, how is data being used to create or mo- monitor or manage uh, a value-based care model? So uh, Natasha, would that be something that you, you could take a shot at? Sure, happy to, to take a crack at that. I think, you know, really, um, I would say this is looked at on a condition by condition basis. Uh, to start and then say, you know, what it requires is a collaboration between a a few different partners. So it requires certainly a collaboration between a pharmaceutical or biotech manufacturer along with the payer partners. Um, But usually there's also a a third party that's involved in helping to translate how do we triangulate um, accepted clinical benchmarks that are captured as part of a standard of care for that particular condition? And what will treating providers be managing over time in terms of um, measures that are easily quantifiable in either claims data or um, maybe EMR data, et cetera? And so I think the, the short answer that I would say is like there's precedent that's emerging here where this is happening for value based. Uh, uh, care models as well as value-based agreements. But what also needs to occur is the fact that this needs to be drilled down to a very specific condition level in order to ensure that the measures being selected are actually practical in a real-world setting and are measurable in things like claims data, which is usually the most, um, I would say, used format to help informed value-based care uh, agreements today. Uh, we haven't typically progressed too far into more nuanced EMR um, uh, measures yet, but I, I see that coming. Thanks, Natasha. And uh, probably have time for one or two other questions. So if, uh, if there's any other questions, you know, please feel free to put it into the chat. Um, and uh, maybe this is another question. So what, what conversation happens these days when we talk about technology without talking about AI, right? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's in the mainstream. And so there's a question mm-hmm. around, uh, you know, when using AI-led analytics, you know, where data is hosted outside your own premise or clouds and, and there isn't control over that data integration, then how do you sort of enforce uh, compliance? So um, I'm not sure if anyone here on the panel has a point of view, but maybe I could I could start by framing this up as around, uh, you know, I think any any platform environment, 
you know, especially when it's handling patient level data where there's a risk that putting certain data points together, data attributes together is going to elevate a risk of patient re-identification. You know, there should be a, a risk assessment on a technical level, you know, monitoring the controls that are available from an access perspective, um, from a, a technical perspective, functional perspective, but also assessing what data attributes are that being utilized by an, any analytics platform or provider, just to ensure that uh, from a statistical perspective, the data, you know, either individually as a data set, collectively as multiple data sets, don't raise the risk of re-identifying a de-identified patient. So I think there is some, some methodology that can be leveraged and a framework that can be leveraged to ensure compliance. It's, it's probably not you know, uh, completely going to cover the AI component, but I think from a statistical basis, it could still you know, ensure that there's a low or a very low threshold in which um, patient risk is identified. I would like to thank you, the listeners, for joining us. We hope our conversation has sparked a few of your own ideas and maybe even solutions to some of your data questions. I would like to personally thank Jessica, Uman, Jordan, and Tasha for your expertise and your time. Feel free to share this link with your peers. And if you missed episode one, again, no worries. Head on over to iqv.com and search the changing ecosystem in specialty aggregation. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. To learn more about this and other topics facing healthcare ecosystems around the world, visit iqvia.com.